Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning to the people listening to the recording of this podcast. Uh, You thought I messed it up, didn't you? Good afternoon, of course. (laughs) Thought I'd just get out of the way before I do it. (laughs) Um, I think that we can all agree that this is the best time of year to be in Sweden. Anyone else agree? I'm talking about spring, of course. One more month, apparently. Okay, okay. Did you know um, today is officially the the end of winter, right? It's like the beginning of summer. It's officially spring. Although apparently it's like March sometime, but, you know, no one believes that who's lived here for longer than that. But I am loving, you know, the long hours of daylight, uh, being able to take off some of those layers that we talk about, uh, start to dream about the summer holidays, start to book in my holidays. Anyone else excited about that? Summer holidays coming around the corner. And it is that time of year. We finally start to dare to believe that winter is over. Although I did hear from my uh, sister-in-law that it was snowing in Stockholm last week. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Sweden keeps you on your toes, keeps you on your toes. You always got to check out the door every day, right? Just like, yep, jacket, yep. You know, one of the big things in our home is that my wife, Lynn, who can't be here today, unfortunately, sick kid, uh, she likes to sneak off to her happy place in the garden this time of year after a long day teaching unruly teenagers. That's where she goes after work, just to, you know, unwind. And uh, she, for some reason, she's the, she sees the work of making our garden beautiful um, a little bit of respite from the hustle and bustle of work and, and the stresses of work. And I'm thankful for that. I just let her go ahead and, you know, take care of stuff in the house to make sure <laughs> kids don't get into too much trouble. And you could say that our garden for us has is, is become a bit of a, an oasis in, in, the, in the spring and in the summer. We really try to make the most of it. And so I'm just really thankful for the garden. And I'm really looking forward to hosting Connect Group there in the upcoming months, and all of that's starting to come together. We're going to have a men's grill in a few weeks' time, so that's a good sign. That means it's, we're going, heading in the right direction. And um, this Sunday, we're going to continue on the Easter trail, actually. Uh, if we had a theme for the last few months, it would have probably been something like New Beginnings. That was the idea, anyway. Because not only are we ordaining Matthew and Christelle as the new lead pastors of this church, that's quite a new beginning, but we are remembering the event that changed everything for us as mankind, right? That Jesus died and he rose again. And so we're going to continue talking about that this morning. As believers, we know that that event inaugurated a whole new age. But this wasn't actually obvious to everyone at the time. To his followers, for example, they, I mean, they were gripped with the loss. Uh, I mean, they were mourning the fact that their, their Lord has died in such a horrific way like Matthew was describing just a few weeks ago. And I want us to pick up the gospel story this afternoon from John 20, 11 to 15. You can read it here. I think it's up on the screen as well. John 20, 11 to 15. I think I'm on the wrong page. Ready? But Mary 
stood outside the tomb, crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Thinking he was the gardener. You can imagine the scene. You're intending to visit the grave of your Lord, but what you find is an empty tomb. You start to imagine the worst, that maybe somebody has stolen his body. Now, we know that Jesus was buried in the garden of Joseph Arimathea, and John is very keen to point out that Mary Magdalene, in her distress, supposed Jesus to be the gardener. Maybe that's a logical mistake. They were in a garden, after all. Or was she being prophetic? Either way, she wasn't entirely wrong with her assessment. You see, the risen Christ is the gardener who restores the garden of God. Now, I realize there's a lot in that sentence. There's a lot to get your head around. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to get the help of the, the whole Bible this afternoon. I, I might skip a few chapters um, in, in just unpacking that sentence for you. So let's begin our journey in Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to paraphrase some Genesis chapter 1. Oh, you thought I was joking. <laughs> I knew the day would love this one. In chapter 1, we learn that, that God created Adam, 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 uh, which means human. And in his own image from the Adama, which is the, the humus or the soil as we know it, and breathe life into him. And he gave that human a vocation to rule over his creation. You could say that they were the original gardeners. They had to take care of God's garden. Now, God, as we know, looked over his creation, and he saw that it was good. It was good. Adam and Eve had it good in the garden. It was a place where they didn't have to worry about what's coming up tomorrow. They could just be they could just be. You know, the picture of Eden becomes a lot more appealing to me as I get older, I find. A place just to be. They had everything they needed in the garden. Nothing to fret about, nothing to compare with. It's just all good. Now, there was a time when I thought that the sound of Eden that was being described was a bit boring. It's a bit boring. Uh, when I was a young man, I thought the idea of just chilling with God uh, and his creation was not exciting enough. I was a young guy and I had ambitions. I wanted freedom to choose. And I chose this. No, maybe that. And it was fun at first, right? But then I'm, I'm longing for what Charles Spurgeon called the relief from crushing responsibility that many teenagers are already complaining about. So I don't just get to choose what I wear now. I get or what time I go to bed, I've got to decide where to study or what career path to follow, who should I marry, what car should I get, what mortgage, insurance, 
What should I have on my social media profile? What's for dinner? What shall we watch? What do the kids want to do now? Oh, man, this is exhausting. Sometimes I feel like I want out. And I find myself deflecting the responsibility sometimes to the kids. What do you want to do? <laughs> what do you want for dinner? Because I'm just so exhausted. I'm just def <laughs> deflecting that responsibility. And then being frustrated with them because they change their mind. Newsflash is what kids do. It's laziness on my part. Kids shouldn't have to decide. Parents, we got to let your kids be kids, right? We got to take responsibility for the decisions. I know that, but it's easy to give up that responsibility because of just the, the tiredness and, and the exhaustion of having to make decision after decision after decision. It's a burden. But I get it because we're all a bunch of addicts. And people are like, what? No. <laughs> Who told you that? <laughs> okay, I'm maybe not talking about alcohol, sex, or drugs, but these are all just types of coping mechanisms for every man's battle in the world, I believe, that we're, we're just beat up so often. We're just so tired or burnt out. That's the challenge for our constantly connected, if I had my phone, I would hold it up right now, fast-paced generation. I, I look around, and in, even in the office, even on the bus, like out, I see a lot of tired people. A lot of us are really tired because there's just constant highway of information coming at us. There's constant marketing telling us to make a choice, to make a change. And it becomes a bit overwhelming at times, especially when you're burnt out because of other things going on in your life. You can't cope with all of that responsibility. And as an adult that is all too aware of his limitations, I, I've come to my end many times, I find the picture of a garden very appealing. A place of rest, a place of refuge, a place of peace. That sounds good. <laughs> Where I can just be. Now, the Garden of Eden was all of those things because of one very important fact. It was the dwelling place of God's presence. That's what made it so special. You know, at the time of Eden, at, sorry, at the time of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed communion with God. They were in his presence. But as we learned from Ladea just a couple weeks ago, God is holy. Newsflash, he is holy. And so there had to be some ground rules on how you could enjoy that privilege. It's like if you want to live under this rule, a roof, you have to live by my rules, kind of. There was a boundary that God set, as we, we read about in Genesis. And as we know, they stepped out of that boundary because they believed a lie. The serpent challenged the trust of Eve in God's goodness by suggesting that he was holding something back from her, that they could be like God, and they didn't have to die. The tragedy is that they didn't trust God. They didn't take him at his word. Reality was that God only had their best interests at heart. We know that now. He had actually been protecting them. But they made a trade. They traded the presence of God for their preferences. And their disobedience, as we know, brought a curse upon them. It saw them banished from God's presence and exiled to a wasteland, no longer in the garden. Now, the dilemma of the first Adam was the same dilemma man faced throughout history. Do I choose God's preference, uh, presence or my preferences? 
do I choose God's presence or my preferences? Moses said this. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. In other words, you might say, I want this job in another country, but if you ain't with me, I ain't taking it. You might say, you know, I like this girl. That's perfect because our friend Eric just stepped in. <laughs> but I'm not marrying her <laughs> unless you're with me. Not my will, but yours be done. What did Matthew remind us of during our pre-Easter service? Jesus showed us that real faith happens between the if and the but. Hopefully you remember the sermon, otherwise you might think that sounds weird. But what he's saying is, where you, faith is where you forfeit your preferences for his presence. Now, Adam and Eve failed the test, and we so often do too. But was there any hope for them? Or was paradise lost forever? Let's go to the middle of the story. Okay, I said I would skip a few, right? Let's go to Isaiah 51, 1 to 3. It says this. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. So there is hope for the righteous. Deserts would be turned into Eden, wastelands into a garden. But then it begs the question, how could we be made righteous? Now, at that time, they were still wondering, but they didn't have to wait too long to get a clue. Isaiah 61, the famous passage that Jesus read in the synagogue, I'm sure you all remember it, says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember, he got up and dropped that one on the synagogue. That chapter, very interestingly, ends with these words in verse 11. It says, for as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Are you seeing a little bit of a connection here already? The risen Christ would be the gardener who restores the garden of God. Now, as we read in John 20, Jesus' followers, they had a hard time connecting the dots you see that a lot in the Gospels. They don't seem to get the whole picture like we have the privilege of seeing today. But they should have paid more attention when Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Jesus restored the garden by being the seed that fell to the ground and died. John 12, 24. Jesus was the last Adam. He was the first fruit of a restoration of the garden of God. I like the words of G.K. Chesterton. He says this, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone was rolled away. And in varying ways, they realized the new wonder. The world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation, with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden. 
but not in the call of the night, but in the dawn. So Jesus' resurrection was a new beginning for us. If sin ushered in the night for this world, Jesus' death and resurrection was the dawning of a new day for us. And this new day is prophesied in the last book, in the book of Revelation. If you go to Revelation 22, 1, 3, it's amazing here. The, this is like a mirror of what we read in Genesis 2. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So in a mirror of what we read in Genesis, we see that we are to anticipate the restoration of Eden. Now, all this imagery that we're hearing of is, of course, it represents the life-giving presence of God. Now, we as believers here today, we might have experienced a little bit of that new life. I hope so. I hope, I hope you've experienced some of it. Maybe through our participation by faith that you've maybe experienced healing in your life. You've maybe experienced his peace that surpasses all understanding, his comfort. But all of this is just a taste of what is to come. And we, as his, as his church, we're just a preview. We're a preview to the world of what we are waiting for, what we are longing for, the fullness of his presence. A garden where there is no, no longer any curse because Jesus became our curse and hung on a tree so that we could be set free. What we experience in the now is just the spring season of his presence. Spring season is a theme for our church. I'm sure you'll be hearing more about that if you haven't already. And this spring season, just like we're having right now, it shows us hope. That there is a life, but there is so much more to experience. The best is ahead of us. You know, discipleship, interestingly, is about cultivating the soil of your life to sustain and flourish in all seasons. I listened to a podcast that Matthew sent me recently, Phil Pringle, Discipleship. And one thing he said that I thought was great, he said um, that discipleship is actually future preparation. It's not for the here and now, it's for the next season. You do not know what the next season might bring. It might be, you know, overflowing blessings, but it might also be a very tough season. But discipleship ensures that we're ready for the next season. It's preparation. And gardening's the same, right? Gardening's not for today. Like, you don't come home from the garden center and get your soil out, and then you go, oh, that looks amazing, right? If, you, if you've ever done any gardening, it, it's not that impressive in the beginning. You don't see anything. There's just a bunch of seeds in the soil. Because it's not ready on day one. It's preparation for the season ahead, right? The kind of beautiful life that brings glory to God, that is that beautiful garden that's a preview to the world of his glory and what is to come. That's all down to careful tending of the garden. 
It's down to the passage of time. Some things just take time. Gardens take time. And good growing conditions. And for that reason, we are actually to mimic Jesus just as he mimicked the Father. We're going to be like gardeners. You know, the great hymn writer Isaac Watts, can't say I've read a lot of his hymns, but I've heard of him. But anyway, he had a really good uh, song that I just, it just really impacted me. I heard about it in a book recently. And this is what he called the church. He called the church a garden walled all around, a paradise of fruitful ground, chosen by love and fenced by grace from out the world's wide wilderness. Like trees of spice, his servants stand. They're planted by his mighty hand, by Eden's gracious streams that flow to feed their beauty where they grow. I just thought that was a beautiful picture, so I had to share that with you this morning. From that old hymn from, I think, the 1600s, I think it's very old. You know, sometimes we lose heart with our garden when things aren't growing as we expect. I've had a few conversations with my wife where she's been disappointed in the crop <laughs> from her efforts. But we need to remind ourselves that God produces the fruit of his garden. What a relief. We don't have to carry that responsibility. And even when he cuts back, he does so so that he can make more fruitful those that remain in him. We can read that in Scripture. But that is the challenge, isn't it? To remain in him, to stay in his garden. Gardens aren't always easy. But as a green-thumbed friend recently told my wife, she says something really interesting, she said, Nothing is ever a waste in a garden. Even your mistakes can be a fertilizer. Even when things need to be cut back, it will return stronger. And in the same way, there is always hope in God's garden. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel like things aren't happening in your life, that you've been cut down in some way. But as we learned last gathering, Jesus broke the curse of the first Adam. So you don't need to strive anymore. You don't need to make it happen on your own. His presence is accessible once more. So in, shortly, I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer as we go back into worship. But come to him this afternoon and find your place where you can just be where you can be who he made you to be, nothing missing, nothing late. Because God's got his hands in the soil of your world. He is he's right in the soil. He's, he's in the details of our life. He's tending to us. He's cultivating something in us. And he's breathing new life into us, into those dry bones, just like we sang. But he's calling us to also participate in that, to actually join with him in making sure that the soil is good soil, making sure that we're in the right environment, making sure that we're waiting patiently, that we're believing in the hope that he has laid out for us. I want to invite the band up now, wherever you are. We're just coming for a close. And I just want to prepare us now for coming forward. If, if you feel that's you this morning, 
Maybe you feel frustrated that things haven't been happening in your life. Maybe you feel like in some way you've been cut down, that you've gone backwards. I would like to call you forward as we have worship. And some of us are going to be at the front here. We would love to have a moment of prayer with you. There's no rush. We're just going to spend time in God's presence this afternoon. Because wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That, that is his garden. It's the presence of God. And we're just getting a taste of it right now. But I believe that God wants us to have an even greater taste of it. He wants us to, to be a beautiful garden for him in our world. That's the ministry of the church. We're just we're exhibiting his beauty to the world. I pray that people in Lund would come into contact with the beauty of his garden, his garden that's walled around a paradise of fruitful ground, chosen by love and fenced by grace out of the world's wilderness. Now, our story began in a garden, and the first gardener, he failed to maintain that garden. But the last is restoring it to the former glory. Now, we're living in the spring of God's garden. Where even today, we can pray like Paul to be filled with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want us all to take heart. If we're in the garden, as we're in church this afternoon, the gardener is here. And you may not always recognize him at first, just as Mary didn't. But he is here. He is here. He calls you by name. And his desire is for you to flourish for the glory of his kingdom. Believe in the gardener, for he is risen. Amen. Let's stand.